excuse me, the uh, Reverend Billy Graham tells of a time early in his career when he arrived in a small town to preach a sermon. He says, wanting to mail a letter, he asked a young boy for directions to the post office. After being told the way by the young man, the Reverend Graham looked at this, this young fellow and said, hey, by the way, if you come to the Baptist church this evening, you can hear me telling everyone how to get to heaven. He said, would you like to come tonight? And the little boy looked up at the Reverend Graham and said, uh, I don't think I'm going to be there. He goes, well, well, what do you mean? You, you don't want to go to heaven? He goes, well, sure, I'd like to go to heaven. He goes, well, then why wouldn't you want to be there? He said, well, to tell you the truth, mister, uh, you, you don't even know the way to get to our post office. <laughs> how are you going to tell us how to get to heaven? And so, you know, it's kind of a good point, you know, as we are uh, coming to the end of our current series, uh, Living Life in Light of Eternity, we come to some passages that um, leave no doubt as to the answer to the following question, is heaven a real place? And in order to get a, maybe a better overview to this question, turn with me in your Bible to uh, the book of Revelation, and we'll start with Revelation chapter 21. Verse 1, and we'll go through uh, the 22nd chapter through verse 5. In Revelation 21, starting with verse 1, we read these words. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying, or pain, the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the lamb, uh, who sits on the throne, and said, "Behold, I am making all things new." And he said, "Write, for these words are faithful and true." And he said to me, "It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without any cost." He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from from God, having the brilliance and the glory of God. And her brilliance was like that of a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had been a great and high wall with twelve gates, at the gates, 12 angels, and the names were written on each one of them. 
and each was written on the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. And there were three gates on the east and three gates on the north, three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lambs, of the lamb. And on the one who spoke with me, he had a golden measuring rod with, with him, a rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square and its length as a great, as a great, as great in, as width as, as it measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall 7,200 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. <clears throat> he said, in the material of the wall was jasper, and the, city of, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city, city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, and the third calisone. The fourth, emerald, and then the fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, crystallite. And the eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The ten, chrysoprase. And the eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb, are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of, the, of God has illuminated it, and the lamp is in the, in the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there is no need for night, its gates shall never be closed." And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees uh, were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his bondservants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night. And there shall no longer have need of any of the light of the lamp. Nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God shall illumine them. And they shall reign forever and ever. As we get to this passage, we see unveiled in ways that up to this point has not been revealed. In this passage, we discover a new heaven. There's a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new era, uh, the eternal abode of the Lamb's bride, where we'll be uh, new creatures in Christ uh, without the old nature that demonstrates itself and manifests itself in so many ways today. There's going to be a new universe that suggests there'll be a new approach and methods to life. There's a new laws which basically will regulate the universe. And according to chapter 21, verse 22, we see that there are going to be following changes that are going to take place. It says that there'll be no temple. Notice that there's, 
the total absence of sin and temptation and testing in, the new, in, in, this, in this new creation will be a radical uh, approach to how we will live. There'll be a new Jerusalem. We're told it comes down uh, from God out of heaven, but it doesn't mean that the, it's another satellite for the earth, but rather that the earth and all the new creation will be at the center of what God is creating. And, uh, and it'll be the place where everything is focused on it. This new city, this new Jerusalem will be the focal point of everything that God has created. You know, gravity will be radically revised. Uh, there'll be no sunlight uh, to give light, and uh, night isn't critical. You know, resurrected bodies won't need, uh, you know, won't need the rest like we do today. You know, there's, there's nothing like a good nap or when you shut out the light, just to kind of shut that light out. You go, oh, this feels great. Well, you know, that won't be necessary because we won't have a need to rejuvenate. We're told that there'll be no more sea on the earth. And we look around today and we realize that 75% of the earth's um, surface is covered with water of some sort, which is kind of fascinating. And can you imagine how much more space there'll be on earth if there's no water and it's all usable land? I know as, as developers talk all the time and being in the construction industry, you know, always looking for, you know, developable land. It's like, you know, what are we going to do? We need more land. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's for more parking lots or, or what it's going to be for. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, there's going to be more usable land. And, uh, there, there's, and that's always a precious commodity. So there's going to be many changes that are going to take place. And with all these things in mind, I want to address an opening question. And the question is, is heaven a real place? And in order to best understand it, a simple word study helps us to see that without any question, that heaven is more real than those things we're convinced exist today. And I'll just give you an overview, and we're going to look up some of these things. But the word heaven just for our own references, our own personal edification. The word heaven is used over 582 times in the King James Version of the Bible. In its plural form, heavens is used another 133 times. So that word is used a total combined amount of times, 715 times. So if heaven or the heavens weren't real... That sure is a lot of, uh, there sure is a lot of verbiage that's being set aside for something that doesn't exist. 750 times, 15 times, God talks about heaven. And so we know that when we look at the word heaven, that it has a tremendous amount of meaning. The phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is used 32 times in the New Testament, all of them in the Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of God appears 69 times in the New Testament and 53 times those are used in the Gospels as well. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where we have a little different twist of the word heaven. But it also helps us to understand what the point that God is making. Is heaven a real place? And the answer is an overwhelming absolutely. Second Corinthians chapter 12, let's look at verse, um, well, let's just start with verse 1. It says, that boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable, but I will go to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago 
whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I'm not sure. God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into, here's the word, paradise, and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. He says he was, he refers to the fact that he was caught up in the third heaven. We see that in verse 2 and calls it paradise in verse 4, which leads us to the, to the following conclusions. The first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth or the firmament, which we find in Genesis 1-8 is a place where the birds fly. So when you look up into the sky and you see birds flying around, the Bible says that, you know, that is the firmament or the first heaven. The second heaven appears uh, to be stellar space where we find you know, the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets and the galaxies. And in, in Genesis chapter 1, if you'll turn back there, look at verses 14 through 18, and it helps us give, get an understanding or a breakdown of how God breaks heaven down for us so that there's a, a more uh, clear understanding as to what we're talking about. In Genesis 1, verses 14 through 18, we have this breakdown of heaven for us. It says, Then God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. It says, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. It says, and God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to govern the day, and, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So he's saying that he separated. There's the firmament where we see the birds. There's also, it goes a little deeper than that, where we see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the stellar activity. Uh, Psalm uh, 19, for example, says, and the heavens declare the handiwork of God. And so we know that you know, this is God's way of helping us to identify and, and for our own purposes, okay, what, what are we talking about when we talk about the word heaven? Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 4, the word paradise that Paul uses appears to be a dwelling place for God. If you remember the thief on the cross, as he was dying that particular day, Jesus said, don't worry about it, because today you'll be with me where? In paradise. And so we know that paradise is a name that God himself have, has given to the place where he makes his abode or he makes his presence known. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, paradise appears to be the dwelling place of God. Listen to the following references. Psalm 115, 3 says, but our God is in the heavens. Psalm 14, 2, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens. Revelation 4, 1, 2 says that there is a door that opened in heaven and a throne was set in heaven, throne upon which God the Father sits. 
Revelation 19.1 says, A great voice of much people were found in heaven. Our future resurrection body is called in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, A building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Hebrews 12.22 speaks of the city of our God, which is described as the heavenly Jerusalem. So with all of these things in mind and to get a better understanding if heaven's a real place or not, if you'll follow along in the outline, that will be helpful. And that is that we're going to take a look, number one, at the first truth or the first fact that we find going through these passages in Revelation 21 and 22 is that heaven is a city that is built by God himself and the place where God the Father dwells. In Revelation 21, verse 2 and 10, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. In verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. That heaven is a place that is built by God and where God the Father dwells. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Back a couple of books. Hebrews 11 verse 16, we read these words. And this is speaking of all those who, lo- who long for and look for the day You know, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that yet not seen. You know, Hebrews 11 is talking about, you know, God's people throughout human history who look forward to the day that they would see the things that God had promised, but as as of that period of time, they had never seen it. And so they look forward and they long for that. And, And in Hebrews 11, verse 16, we read, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. How about John chapter 14, verse 2, where Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if this wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you that. But because I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back for you, that where I am, you will always be. And so he is preparing a very special place for us, even as we speak and read these words. And it's not like he needed the time to do it, but the reality of it is, and what we need to understand is, you know, God spoke the world into existence instantaneously. And I, you know, and I know there's a lot of jokes and, you know, stories about how, wow, you know, can you imagine, you know, God spoke the universe into existence like that, and now for 2,000 years, he's been working on your place and my place, not how much nicer is it going to be? And it's like, well, no, the, 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 the point isn't that he's got more quantity of time that he's putting into our residence. The point is, is that he is, you know, he was, he is, focusing our attention on the fact that he is preparing a place for us that we can look forward to and long to see and long to be one day. You know, we, we, have, a, you know, we have a hands-on God who's building a place for you and I. 
And how comforting that is to know and how, how wonderful that is to realize that. Can you imagine? I mean, our God isn't subcontracting out, you know, our house. You know, he's actually doing the work himself. It's like, you know, he's not taking our fee and then he's turning it over to somebody else and making, you know, just some m- money in the middle, you know, kind of the middleman. He's there, no, I'm preparing this place for you. And when you see it, you're going to realize that, that it was me. And so we know that um, heaven is a city built by God himself. It's a place where God the Father dwells. Number two, heaven is a city of enormous size and beauty. And if you go back to Revelation 21 and you consider what we read in verse 11, it's just an incredible thought. It's mind-boggling, actually, when you think about it. It says that having, you know, the brilliance in the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. And you know, I'm reading through this, and in Revelation 21, verse 11, it has, it's filled with the glory of God. So its size and its beauty is just incredible because all of God's glory fits within the city. And the first thing he brings to our attention are the dimensions uh, that will handle all believers. I mean, some people get nervous. It's like, is there going to be enough room? I mean, because, you know, we're always talking about being crowded and jammed in, and can you move over, and do you have an empty seat next to you? And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, will there be enough room for everybody in heaven? And, uh, you know, in this particular description, we look at verses 16 through 17. Just look at the physical description of the new Jerusalem. It says, and the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and its width and its height are equal. And he measured its wall, 72 yards thick, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. Now stop and think about this. The city of this new city, Jerusalem, is going to be 1,500 miles um, long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles tall. And it'll be almost in, in, in a cubish Uh, or pyramid shape. So if you took 1,500 miles in in length and 1,500 miles in width and you stuck it in the center of, not that the United States will be the center of where New Jerusalem will land, which I doubt if that'll be the case, but it'll be somewhere in Europe, probably near the old Jerusalem. And if you just placed it, but for our reference point, since it's easier for us to understand, it would be like taking a city that would go from Montana, or the Canadian border, to the Mexican border, and take up the whole middle heartland of the United States. And that would be the size of the city. Now, that's only the width and, 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 the, uh, and, and the length. Now you have to add the height, which is 1,500 miles as well. So 1,500 miles... And some of you guys, I love it because, you know, we've got, we got all these contractors out here that are, that are just sitting here doing the math. But, you know, you're talking about 300, right around 396,000 uh, feet or stories high. 
Now stop and think about that. Uh, 396,000 stories high. Can you imagine the line at the elevator? <laughs> the cool thing is there won't be a line at the elevator because we'll be able to come and go as we please. But if you could imagine a line at the elevator, uh, you know, so much for there being no, you know, no sin in heaven. Uh, I could just... <laughs> It's an amazing thing, you know, every week, you know, when, when we go to our doctor's meetings, the, the elevators at this particular place that we go are, are I, I think there's like, a, there's a monkey back there somewhere and a guy feeding it bananas and, and, and cranking a crank. It's the slowest elevator of any elevator I've ever experienced. And the funny thing is that most people who go are going there on a very regular basis, so they know the drill. And they're, they're, they're trying to get on the elevator before the people that are, that are on it try to get off. And I could just imagine what that would be like if you had 396,000, you know, stories that you had to deal with. Uh, you know, uh, what, what, what number? Uh, 382,473, please. <clears throat> no, that one's covered already? Good, okay. And then you're always going to have one kid that's going to mess around and just hit them all. And I don't know how long that's going to take to clear up, but that's kind of going to be a mess. But, but the reason I bring that up is that, you know, the, the dimensions, you know, will handle everybody. And when you stop and think about, um, I think our atmosphere is only like 15 miles or something like that. I'm not even sure. But when you think about the fact that if you're 1,500 miles into space, how incredible it will be to have like a penthouse view. Can you imagine what you'll see? I mean, it's just going to be incredible. And to have resurrected bodies that are capable of surviving under those conditions. That you will be able to come and go as you please, but we will be out in the universe seeing things that we can't see from an earthbound perspective. But one day, one day, there's going to be a day where we'll be able to see things that we can't even begin to believe exist. And the dimensions are incredible. The description of it is even more so mind-boggling. See, I understand the dimensions as a contractor and having that kind of background. The, uh, the description of it, and you start to read, you know... And I'll just kind of go through it, but I think you have to be a gemologist to really appreciate, you know, some of these things that we're going to read because, or, or a gemologist or somebody who really enjoys jewelry, which, which really, I fit in either category, but it's there so we read it. Although I was going to get like an earring or something just to break up the look. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just something that just kind of break it up a little bit. But then by the time I do that, they, my hair will probably grow back. <laughs> but in Revelation 21, look at verse 18. And the material of the wall was jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. There's 12 gates and... Each gate was 12 gigantic pearls. I remember reading somewhere where, uh, you know, a critic said, well, it's impossible. It's impossible that, you know, that, that 
God could create something like this. So what, I was like, what are you talking about? Well, do you realize now? I mean, here's the, here's, here's the foolishness of the world that we live in. And here was the reason it was so hard for this guy to believe that there could be 12 gigantic pearls would be each gate. And here's his logic. Do you know how big an oyster's got to be? You know how big an oyster's got to be to be the size of a gate? And what's, what's your point again? It's just amazing to me. It's like, oh, no, it's impossible. That can't be right. The Bible has to be wrong because certainly God could not make an oyster that big. Well, how about if God just skipped the whole oyster part <laughs> and just made a pearl? I mean, that's, that's feasible, isn't it? But that's just... You know, you just go, oh, sound, yeah, sounds good to me. I guess this is all crazy otherwise. Uh, but uh, so you got these 12 gigantic pearls, 12 foundations, 12 different precious stones. Re- Revelation 22, verse 5, there's no need uh, for night or the sun or the moon or the stars. And you just go down through and you begin to read all this and you begin to imagine, man, this is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? In a lot of degrees, we don't have to imagine. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to, uh, you know, formulate in our minds something that we've never experienced in this lifetime. We just look at it for what it is and go, wow, you know what? This is going to be a beautiful place created by our God. You know, heaven is also a place from which the Messiah came into this world and the place to which he ascended back into heaven. And the place from which he shall return. Turn with me in the Gospel of John, verse 13. But John, verse, John chapter 3, verse 13. Let's read these words. says, and no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He goes on to say in verse 31, he says, and he, must, and he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Go to Matthew, I mean, uh, John chapter 6, look at verse 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. It says in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In verse 51, I am the living bread that that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world 
is my very flesh. When you look at this and you begin to realize that Jesus was very clear. He's there, no, one has ascend, no one has descended from heaven except me. Now when you stop and think about the, the relevance of that, it comes down to this. Just like the little kid who wanted to, you know, that had to give Billy Graham directions to the post office. You know, I, I want to get directions from somebody who has been there and done that. See, and Jesus is saying, if you want to know the way to heaven, then come and see me. Because I've been there. I know how to get there. I came from there. I came from heaven to earth. And then he goes on to talk about the fact in Acts chapter 1, if you'll turn there, not only did I come from heaven to earth, but I am also returning to the place from which I came. And that was what was mind-boggling to the disciples. It's like, well, wait a minute, where are you going? They said, well, I'm going back to where I came from. In Acts chapter 1, look at verses 9 through 11. It says, and after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So what are you standing there staring like you don't know what's going on? Bottom line is that Jesus came from heaven to earth. He is now returning from earth back to heaven. And if you would just, you know, pay attention to what's going on and what's being said, you'll recognize and understand that that's the case. In Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. And he said, Behold, I see the, the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is referring to Stephen speaking as he is being stoned to death. He says, I see the heavens opened up, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they covered their ears, and they rushed upon him with one impulse to kill him. You know, they didn't want to hear that. But as Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, in verse 55, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And so he knew, and we get a glimpse through Stephen's eyes where Jesus is today. And he recognized that as he looked up into heaven, he saw him standing there. So not only did he come from heaven to earth, but he left the earth and went back to heaven and we know that it's from heaven where he will return again one day. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which we've gone into in great detail in, in a previous message. So a fourth thing that we're going to look at is, is that heaven is also the place of rewards for the believer. Remember in our, our last couple of messages, we uh, recognize the fact that during this period of time, this seven-year period of time called the tribulation, 
that uh, while that was taking place on the earth, that each one of us, all of God's people, would appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the reason that we would appear before him is so that we would be judged according to the works that we committed or, the, or basically uh, those things that we did on behalf of God and on behalf of his kingdom that are worth being rewarded. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, we read this. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Well, when, when will these uh, rewards take place? When does this judgment take place? Well, it takes place as we await the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we look at that in chapter 6 again and look at verses 19 through 21 of the book of Matthew. It says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures upon earth, where, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we know that heaven is a place of rewards for the believer. So where are we going to be judged? We're going to be judged in heaven, which is a real place. By who? By Jesus Christ who is a real person, and he will judge us according to our real actions or our real deeds in order to bless us with those rewards, which will be equally real. So all of these things are real. They're not no one's imagination. They're taught clearly in Scripture, and these are the things that we must be aware of as we live this life in light of eternity. So when you go down through this, ask yourself the question, are you ready for the day when you will stand before the Lord to give an answer for the actions, basically, that you have uh, performed subsequent to coming to faith in Christ? Are you ready for that day? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us. So are you ready for that? Heaven's the place from which the Messiah has come. Do we really believe that Jesus came from heaven to earth, that he went again and returned back to heaven, and that one day he will come again from heaven as he promised on his second coming? And the last thing is, that we'll look at is, is that heaven is a city for believers only. One of the most wonderful promises of God is that heaven is a place that is exclusive to the people of God. And when you understand that it's exclusive to the people of God, you'll also understand and realize why the problems of this world are not going to be seen, felt, touched, or experienced in heaven. See, heaven is a city for believers only. Revelation 21, verses 6 through 8. Revelation 21, 6 through 8. Notice what John writes. <clears throat> he, said, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. In verses 24 through 27, 
he says the same thing. In essence, where he says, And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. There will be those who survive the tribulation period, and they will come and go before the presence of, of God, of Jesus Christ, Lord of lords, King of kings, Prince of peace, and they will, and they will go in and out, and in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. And when their gates are not closed, it's, it's symbolic of the fact that, you know, it's like a, taking a house that, like, where, where we grew up back on the East Coast, we never even, I mean, when we were, at least when we were younger, I mean, we never locked our house. We, we never locked our car. And, and you know, it's like, because usually one of the windows was broken and it didn't make any difference. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we never, we never locked our house. We never locked our car. We never locked things up. It was just, you didn't have to worry about that. But now it's like, you know, and my wife thinks I'm paranoid, but it's like, you know, we'll, we'll, you know the first thing I do when we're leaving is, uh, is, is, you know, do you check the front door? Is the front door locked? And it's like, you know, I used to do that all the time. And she used to think, man, you know what? What's wrong with you? Until one day we drove up to our house and our, and our front screen was laying out in the middle of the front yard. And I just said, oh, did you happen to throw our front screen out in the middle of our front yard? And uh, she said, no, I, I, I didn't do that. I said, well, I didn't do it either. So guess what? Somebody else must have. And so it kind of, it makes it nice because now I can ask that question without getting much of a response other than yes or no. But we, so we're getting down to that. But anyway, but it's, 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 it's just that kind of place where you don't have to worry about things that we worry about here. It says, and the gates will never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a wonderful truth that is. And with that in mind, there's several things I want to share with you. Number one, if heaven is a place for believers only, then you must do more than merely profess to be a believer. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says that we must be born again, in essence, in order to inherit that promise that God has for his people. In Matthew chapter 5, Verse 20, allow me to read these words because it's important for us to understand there's only one way that you and I will experience the new heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, we read these words. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's no way you can get in unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. 
And we know that there's only one way to find it, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Second, you must be humble before God and repent of your sin. There's no other way to find forgiveness with God than to have a broken and contrite heart. There are a lot of people who want to come to God on their own terms. There are a lot of people who want to uh, inherit that uh, heavenly city and negotiate with God as if somehow or another it's a country club that there's a certain fee that has to be paid. And once the fee is paid, then you know what? Then you don't have to deal with God anymore. And there is a fee that has to be paid. But Jesus Christ is the only one who can pay that fee. There's only one way that you can inherit that kingdom of God, that heavenly city that comes down adorned by God, made by God, built by God, for God's people. And that is that you have to repent and humble yourself before an almighty God. There's only one other way that you can get into God's holy city. And that is that you must be born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, what must I do to be saved, basically? In our context, it would be, hey, what do I got to do to have a piece of that eternal city? What do I have to do to make sure that when I die, that that's the place that I'm going to go, to this wonderful place that's built by God? How can I be sure that that city, that new Jerusalem, is going to be my home? How can I be sure that there's a place that's being prepared in that new city for me? And I know that Jesus said that if he goes to prepare a place for me, that he'll come again for me, so that where he is, I will always be. But how can I be certain in my heart that that'll be my case when I die? And Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he can never see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born of the spirit and of water, unless a man confesses his sin before God, unless a man is born again by the Holy Spirit of God, and not by our own human flesh or our human actions, you'll never get to see heaven. There is no place being prepared for you unless you've repented of your sin and trusted in Christ and are born again by the will of God and not by our own human efforts. The Bible says you must believe in Jesus Christ as your only Savior from sin and death and hell. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, God didn't send his son into the world to judge it or to condemn it because this world's condemned already. And we've seen that throughout the series. He sent his son into the world to save it, to save you and to save me from the consequences of our sin. The question that you have to ask of yourself is this. If you die today, will you enjoy being in the presence of God for all of eternity in heaven? Or will you be separated from him in a place called the lake of fire where you will suffer for eternity for your sins that Jesus willfully paid for for you if you had only accepted it. If you died today, 
where would you go? And what will you experience? And my prayer and my hope throughout the series and with one more message to come is that we understand the importance of making a right decision. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And that path is straight to heaven. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word once again. We just pray that uh, we continue to stay focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified. That we will continue to understand the importance of being broken before you. Of being humble and contrite. Of seeking your forgiveness in every area of our life. God, help us not to be prideful people, but to be humble people who recognize that it really is all about Jesus. We thank you that heaven is a real place that we can long for, look forward to, and uh, just pray that one day, when we're absent from this body, that we'll be present with our Lord because we know your promises are true. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.